Hey everybody, this is Zach. Before we get into this episode, I just want to say a quick thing. This is going to be an interview with Levi Coombs, and we had some audio issues on Levi's end in a couple of places throughout this episode. That said, I've done what cleaning up I could, but I decided to just leave most of the interview intact just because Levi's a great guest as always, and you're going to find a spot here and there, but I promise it smooths out and you're going to get a good episode all the way through. Thanks a lot. Enjoy. Get ready for adventure with NPR's only actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast. KOSU brings you Red Dirt D&D, featuring the world's greatest role-playing game, including music and sound effects like a classic radio show. Join our seasoned Red Dirt D&D players as they take you on a thrilling adventure through the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Catch new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as KOSU.org, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to Geekscape, the home of RPG goodness and general tomfoolery. My name is Zach, and I am joined by uh, guest of the year for 2022, Levi Coombs. How you doing? I'm good, dude. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, good to see Puffy Coat back in action. Good to see uh, you back in action. Uh, <laughs> it's a delight to see you both. And uh, I think this is like your third or fourth time to come have a chat with us. I think so, it's the fourth, yeah. Fourth, dang it, man! That's yeah. you might also now have like the lead for most guest appearances <laughs> on the show too, which is which I feel like is is reasonable. So I'll take it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, ostensibly, we're here to talk about Assault on Witchgate Thirteen, which is uh, your new project that is coming out on Kickstarter December eleventh next week. Um, and and kind of the more the more precise reason that you're here is because I've read it to you the last two times at conventions for like five, ten minutes. You've been gracious enough to come by the booth and like grab something from the booth. That, and I, I hope you've enjoyed what you picked up. Try to remember oh, yeah. you picked up uh, did you pick up a couple of you picked up Galaxy of Death by Eric uh, at the last one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are making some really high produced zines like yeah even kind of going above like the normal like boutique zines it's like you guys and then trevor stamper from smoking worm you guys are kind of like neck and neck for these really high quality really highly produced and just they feel like pieces of art when you're holding them so <laughs> i'll give all the credit listen for galaxy of death that's 100 percent an eric spider 00x uh, uh project like he's he knocked it out of the park with that he also did Rain and Blood, which is a um, another mothership thing. And then he's just been killing it, not only with those projects, but also with like, you know, we had Greg Harris come through with a mothership project and, and Eric knocked it out of the park there. So mm -hmm. just he's he's a dynamite. Um, and yeah, it's like anytime you look at one of his things, especially when he gets to kind of like inject his own attitude and an aesthetic mm -hmm. into it. It's like, yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I want to see out of a zine. Like when I pick up a zine, I want like the like the, the distillation of the creators, uh, like all whatever they're trying to get across. Like that, and that's what's great about getting zines because you're getting that. Like I said, you're not having to crack open this big rule book, but you've got like this. Like it's really is like distilled awesomeness all poured into this one little project. And uh, like I just got this one the other day. This. Um, 
this crime fighting luchadors uh, oh, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, from Head Cheese, and it, dude, it, it's exactly that. It's exactly what you want it to be. The art, the art, it fuses with the words, fuses with the game mechanics to really kind of make it like this special thing. Uh, and I think that's something you guys do really, really well. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I we were talking pre-show about um, Dungeon Malarkey, one of your recent projects. And like what I love about zines, and you embody this as well, is that it can be these pockets of a, a, a concept or an idea or just weirdness. Yes. That, 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 you know, if you were to propose this as a full game or, or even a, a tome, you know, a, a hardcover, 300 page tome, it's like, I don't know that we could cram, like, like, I don't know that there's enough of, for this concept to, to, fill mm-hmm. that or that there's enough people to justify a, a a hardcover print run but however just because there's maybe not two thousand people out there or five thousand people out there that are after you know my little weird mothership thing or a dungeon malarkey book doesn't mean that it should not exist and that there's not wild stuff that is exactly what you and i might be after crammed into there right one of my favorite things about um when I buy a role-playing game or a supplement splat book, whatever is it's all the little kind of like lore and all the little weird stuff, all the little like attending pieces that kind of like all the strange stuff, all the, the things that are off to the side that maybe don't get the full, um, you know, don't get a full exposure that like, you know, a, a giant stat block for a, you know, a, I don't know, a great worm or a dragon might, but like, Hey, here's a weird sort of like, you know, glistening, pulsing polyp that spits out monsters. You know, that's <laughs> that's that weird little thing off the side that catches my attention. I'm like, oh, well, let me find out more about that. So that's kind of really how Dungeon Malarkey came about. It was a bunch of stuff like that that I felt like, well, I like these sort of things, so somebody else is going to like them too. I was speaking with Gav, um, who did Hell Knight, right, um, uh, the other day, and he was talking about RPGs are really the crossroads of a whole bunch of different types of creativity and art, right? Like it, mm. it allows this weird, it's this weird space where you can have musicians, you know, we've got metal bands and all sorts of like yeah. ambient soundtrack artists and things like that, that are coming in. We've got actual graphic designers. We've got illustrators. We've got writers. We've got game designers. We've got all these people like intersecting at this crossroads, exchanging ideas, exchanging creative inspiration, and then passing through. And through that, like intermingling, like we pick up things from other art types mm. and carry them with us as writers or game designers or however we see ourselves. Oh, yeah. And then it's interesting because uh, then like literally two days after that, um, I just got a, a Watership Down tattoo and I posted it on, uh, I posted a picture of it online. And Brian Collin sent me this crazy um, uh, link to this artist, like this very surreal artist who does like inspired by Watership Down illustrations. And um, just kind of, I think the two of those, like Gav hitting me with with some with some interesting ways of looking at things, and then Brian like immediately injecting, like I've never heard of this artist. He he does art specifically for my favorite book, but he's like so obscure and niche, at least in my mind, that like he doesn't have that mainstream effect. It's like, but there's still like for the Watership Down fan or for the art, like there's still like. I need him in here. I need that person to exist. Mm -hmm. I need that art to exist. I think the same thing is true with zines where it's like there is 
there is a demand for the Wizards of the Coast and the Call of Cthulhu and the whatever, the, the mass market appeal and the massive outreach. But then there's also, I think, a great demand for um, once you're in the weeds, once you're in the thicket, can you, can, can, is there someone that can speak directly to you and your soul or your brain with what they're putting out? And that I think is what we're seeing here, which is super cool. Yeah. I mean, really two things. Uh, one is if you make the product for yourself, like so you make a zine for yourself, something that you would want to play uh, and then just don't compromise. You just, you really just make it something that you think is cool then it'll find an audience one way or the other, whether or not that's going to be a big audience or a small audience, really inconsequential. Right. Um, but zines can be, they can be these ultra super stylized pieces of, of, of art, basically like the stuff you're making. Yeah. Like I was saying that uh, uh, Trevor Stamper yeah. makes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're, they're so nice. Or they can be these really sort of like, you know, cheaply made sort of fanzine, just we stapled it at home and put it together. I've seen it always. I've seen some that are world class that it, it costs the guy $1.50 to make. And I've seen some that are just amazing that, you know, the cost was probably, you know, 12 or $13 just for one, just to make one, not, not the, not to uh, expound on how much it would cost actually to sell. So uh, they, they, they range from, you know, the, just cheaply made to very expensive and then in, in, in content too, like you can get one that looks really good, but man, ah, it's just kind of devoid of any right. sort of like real personality. And the same can be said, you can get a really cheap one sometimes and it's just genius. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a zine called, um, Temple of the Blood Moth by Jacob Butcher, I think it is. All right. And it was it was like four or five years ago for like the very first zine quest, I think. And um, I mean it, it earned so many like rave reviews because it's just cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so cheaply made. It's like made on like red construction paper. Like it's, oh, man. it's really, really like low budget. Um, but the content is just it's just a really cool and um for its time unique you know, um, uh, setting or, or, or adventure. So mm. I'm telling you, man, if you get a hold of that, like, you'll see what I mean, like so cheaply made, but then you're, you're looking through it and you're like, man, this is great stuff. So one they're out my, there. One of my favorite, I'm going to miss the title. Um, I've been racking my brain, but one of my favorite five E zines, which, which are, are kind of a weird animal in and of themselves, right? Like mm-hmm. fifth edition is not a space for for zines typically right but but some of us fools try it um anyways but one of my favorite ones is this guy this couple of guys out of oh gosh i'm gonna miss everything but i feel like if i if i was chatting with them before that they were out of like alabama or arkansas that were making like this like this bog centered hex crawl um and they did all the illustrations for it it's in a limited color palette it's got a great attitude and literally they printed it out on printer paper in their home and it's like 80 page an 80 page zine that they then like bought had to buy a staple like press to like get through that many pieces of paper to like lock it down and nice. it's this beefy behemoth of like crazy cool like cartoony art and a fun hex crawl and like every like on this like i adore that product mm-hmm. um and they've since gone and made uh cool stuff and definitely more refined stuff but there's a spot in my heart for like this like passionate injection of artistic expression that they put out on printer paper right uh so yeah uh, yeah yeah zines are cool zines are cool 
I'm right there with you, man. It's 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 like one of my it's one of my favorite um, art forms of this hobby of ours. You know, like yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's one of the, my favorite mediums, I, should, I guess you could say. But you've you've managed to go. I think I think the thing that makes Levi and Planet X interesting, or one of the things that makes you interesting, is that you've managed to take I think the zine essence and like upgrade the product, the size, the scale for things like um, Sister Saren or Howling Crater or like these are books that you have that are like full size uh, Mummy Bride, right? Like these are books that are full sized, often hardcover adventures that have the weirdness that you would expect out of a zine, but um, have found an audience and a and a way of communicating that in a larger format, which I think is just really, really cool. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's like, I, I just write the kind of stuff I want to play. You yeah. know, like, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Are there other people like like when you sit down to write something like and I know that um, when we talk about assault on uh, Witchgate, that's something that you worked with with a writer to produce another another person to produce. Uh, but when you sit down to create things like this or Chainsaw Wizards or whatever, um, do you is there types of books? Are there are there? RPG books on your shelf or are there uh, novels or art books or coffee table books on your shelves that you are trying to emulate or uh, referencing? Or is this something that you kind of are stumbling along, along in the dark, kind of figuring out the way forward? Oh man. So I have, I have lots of influences. I mean, and they're all over the place. They're, they're from like fellow creators and peers and just friends all the way through like, you know, comics and paperbacks and movies and music it really is all over the place i guess if you looked at my stuff you could really see the influence of like cinema especially yeah. uh, low budget and, and grindhouse and b movies and things like that. that's really where you can see the the big um the big push for that but in, in the back of some of my modules um especially if we need an extra page, you know, if we need to fill an extra page or something, right. I'll write down, uh, I'll, I'll leave like a list of influences on what influenced the project. So like for an instance, with um, an occurrence at Howling Crater, which you mentioned earlier, that's um, that's one that's inspired by like old, like 50s and 60s sci-fi, like that kind of Very retro much. atomic yeah. sci-fi. But then also I really like, there's this whole um, subgenre of exploitation films, grindhouse films, called um uh, hicksploitation and it's all like the hills have eyes and gator and um uh, spider baby yeah and all, I mean, all these like great um you know hill, like basically hillbilly exploitation movies you know D deliverance even you know yeah. that's another one and then that just kind of mixes in with my own experiences and of like living growing up in arkansas and i mean like small town arkansas yeah. and um it just mixes in with all this stuff that I like, you know, um, and comes out the other side as this really weird, strange project that sure it blends together these two genres, but then there's a whole other level, of, like really crazy and weird stuff going on. So I, and that is the stuff that's super engaging to me. Like I really love like when I can take these experiences that I've had or um, these, the loves of these various films and books and comics and things, and then kind of, mash mash those experiences and um and and the love of those products together and, and something unique comes out the other side mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You, you, so do you feel like cinema is your biggest reference point then? It sounds like it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive, massive film fan, uh, and not just bad, bad films. That's what I'm known for, you know, like Grindhouse stuff. Um, but like, I, I just love film in general. Um, I'm the kind of guy like if I if I didn't have a family, you know, and a, and a job and the whole nine yards, you'd find me at the movies like three, four times a week by myself, yes, yes. you know, uh, um, watching two or three in a row and just, you know, just immersed in them. Um, I'm, I watch as many as I can, but I have, I have kids and a family, you know, I'm a dad, so things are a little different, but like, yeah, I mean, if I, if I had my druthers and the you know, money was not a, was not a, uh, uh, a concern then yeah, I mean, I would, I'd just be at the cinema all the time. What's like a good movie that you've checked out in the last few months that like really, really hit, hit the, hit all the buttons for you. Well, I mean, we talk, what kind of genre are we talking? I, like, I am, I am all things to all people when it comes to this. So you, uh, I'm what, what just looking back on, let's say the last 90 days, like, is there a movie that you walked out of the cinema or you, you, you turned off the TV and you're like, that was awesome. Um, so I'm going to recommend, I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to tell you about a movie and I'm not going to recommend it to you because <laughs> it's only for like 1% of the population who Perfect. like this. Perfect. Um, there's a movie that A24 put out by Ari Aster called Bo is Afraid. Okay. And I'm telling you, 99 out of 100 people will watch this movie and either turn it off halfway through or they'll hate it. Well, it's A24 and, and it's Ari Aster, right? So, like, right. you're in the danger zone before you even go to a premise, <laughs> right? Um, at least for, yeah. for the a wider masses. But, yeah, tell me about it. Tell me What did you like about it? Well, it's Joaquin Phoenix, and um, he is you know, playing a, a very—I don't want to say atypical or or normal Joaquin Phoenix role—but he does have a type that he plays, um, and he does it very well. You know, this kind of a disaffected loser sort of kind of thing. You know, that he's he's done over the long course of his career. He's a brilliant actor, but <clears throat> in this movie, uh, it's about a guy who um, you know is literally is you know he's. He's afraid of everything. Like he is a, a genuinely fearful person. But the way that the movie is constructed, it make it's uh, it's very disjointed, and there's different kinds of storytelling throughout the movie. Um, so early on, you can feel very like nervous, and you can feel very um, uneasy watching it, and then you're kind of lulled into this sort of like. Um, Oh, just kind of this, you're kind of lulled into kind of a sense of complacency watching the movie. And then it hits you again at the end and you're like, so your emotions are all over about it. But the, the, the feeling I got after I was done watching it was I hadn't felt that way while watching a movie since I saw Jacob's Ladder for the first time. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Yeah, a long time ago, but yeah. Jacob's Ladder is another very unsettling movie that kind of right. plays with your emotions, especially if you're paying attention to it. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it's it's not a movie for everybody. The storytelling is very unconventional, and um, it's almost not storytelling in the way that, that that it is. But the way that it makes you feel while you're watching it, it evokes some very strong uh, emotions in you. If you're uh, again, if you're paying attention, you're kind of following everything, and then um, it really it is it hits you hard, and it lulls you into this sense of complacency, and it hits you hard again, and just does that over and over. Uh, and it really just it, it made me feel things 
which is you know what you really want out of a movie for sure and that's called Bo, uh, like b-e-a-u Bo is afraid right Bo is afraid yes yeah. so listen again not for everybody i mean if you want to killers of the flower moon was good yep um i really enjoyed this movie i saw on, on um on amazon called talk to me which is another um another a24 film very very good uh i saw a horror movie over halloween called the wind which okay. is like a, a horror slash uh uh like weird western film nice. um, oh that's that's my jam right there yeah yeah there's lots of good stuff out there it's possible not to be entertained these days that's very cool um so i'm gonna take this as a segue we're talking about film um, the title of your newest project is called uh, Assault on Witchgate 13, which I am assuming is very <laughs> clearly a reference to Assault on Precinct 13. Um, I'm going to also assume that you're emulating or inspired by the John Carpenter version, or are you... Are you... I am Assault, from, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 is for sure uh, in that you know, rarefied air. Yeah. Interesting. I, I uh, why so 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 you're working with a, a writing a writer on this, and, and and I'd love for you to introduce them and talk about them as well. Um, but what about assault? Did you feel like would make a, a great segue into a DCC game? And then um, was that your idea, or was that your 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 partner's idea on this? Well, okay, so the first thing I ever do before I make any adventure or scenario or anything is I almost always start with a name, yeah. okay? And, I, and I'd had this idea for Witchgate 13. I didn't know it was going to be Assault on Witchgate or, or whatever, but I'd seen, I, I loved Assault on Precinct 13. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we did a prison break um, or even a reverse prison break, um, you know, where we're breaking into the prison. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if we did an adventure that was like that? Because I'd seen it done a couple other times, and there was always this problem of like gameplay slows way down as you're yeah. doing the, you know, what you as you're trying to actually get into it, you know, yeah. like it, it's real disjointed. So, um, and which was one of the concerns I had when I, um, when I presented this basic overlay to um, the actual writer of the module, which is uh, uh, Louis Hofer. Uh, people know him as Lou Alou. He's big in a DCC community. Um, he's extremely talented, extremely generous person. Um, he's the um, uh, he, he's the publisher at um, Dandelion Games. He's made uh, Dareluck Club, a ton of DCC and MCC modules. He's an extremely talented uh, guy. Hmm. Uh, and I really wanted to do something with him because not only do I like him as a, as a friend and I admire him, I just really thought the stuff that he was writing was really cool. Um, so, um, yeah, so I came up with this basic, I mean, I, when I say basic, I mean like, hey, here's the name. It needs to have this, this, and this in it. Right. Here's kind of like just the bare bones to hang it on. And I shot the idea at him and he, you know, luckily he had time in his, in his schedule because he's very busy too. And he shot back this really cool, premise you know um our event you know adventure really he wrote too much you know we had actually had to kind of scale it back because uh that's the kind of guy he is he's super imaginative and really talented um but yeah with what he came back with was just great um the monsters were cool the magic was cool the premise the adventure the flow of the whole thing the set pieces you know like the the cool things that your characters are going to remember all like top notch so um so yeah that's just you know he he 
he turned in just a really cool project. The, the you talked about like a prison break as kind of the 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 central core of it, and to me, like a prison break is um, is akin to a heist, right? Which I often feel like the idea of, especially I, I've never done a prison break, I don't think, but as a heist, especially like the idea of like has a good arc for an adventure where you have a planning stage. Then you mm-hmm. have execution stage, and then you have a get out stage, right? Because um, you got to get into a place and then get out of a place, and that's uh, prison break. Depending on if you're breaking someone out of prison or if you are the entity getting out, but um, but those to me often feel great as a concept for an adventure. However, you said something that I think is very true, which is often the planning is the best part of that adventure, and then right. once you get into the actual execution. It feels like it can feel like it's a little bit lackluster from all the planning and all the hype and the anticipation. Then the thing happens. And yeah, like the flow doesn't feel exactly right or there's not tension in the right moments or, you know, things are resolved too quickly or yada, 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 yada. Right. Like, so, yeah, I can imagine like a prison break being like difficult thing it'd be a difficult an interesting thing to chew on and see if you can find a way to get the right flow for most parties as they work through it right um it it, that sounds very interesting to me yeah so lou um he he the way he tells the story is very interesting because he kind of introduced this thing uh we're we're calling it the cutscene mechanic Uh and it's less of a it is a mechanic, but it's less of a, like a hardcore rules mechanic and more of a storytelling technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that he's doing that is with like flashbacks. Yep. So the, the, as, as players get to certain um, areas in the adventure, we provide them with a flash, like a cutscene, basically. Yeah. A, a flashback to something that happened before or a piece of information that they will need going forward. So they don't front load everything by planning. Oh, we're going to plan out every little thing of this you get new information as you proceed further and further into the module. And the way that he did that is pretty cool. I, I dig like anytime we can do, I think, I think Blade Runner, the RPG has some ideas around this too, but anytime you can find like a way to not worry about requiring the party to have everything figured out ahead of time and think through the whole thing, because your party is not bank heists, you know, uh, right. they're not, they're not prisoners who have spent the whole time glassing out a prison, right? Like they are gamers. They're dudes that probably, you know, wherever we worked all day that we're coming home and we're trying to get into a character. And I love the idea of flashbacks as a way of not worrying about it until it needs to be worried about. And then giving them the opportunity to get that information in a smoother way in a way that feels like, oh, I still get to be involved in this, but it didn't mm-hmm. require me to have all the right answers on day one. Um, ah, it, that's a smart, that's a smart way of doing it. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, again, he's very gifted. Um, he's a very, very slick in some of the the concepts that he uses in, in his own stuff. So, um, the flow of this module was the first thing that 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 hit when I so when I read it over the first time it was the first thing that hit me I was like oh this is a really good flow it's not going to get jammed up at it really at any at any one point um, the second big thing that I really noticed when uh, when I read through it the first time is that it has such a wide range of like cool set pieces and yeah. encounters um, 
and this, I mean, there's going to be art in the Kickstarter and there's a little, you know, ex explanation at the top that tells you kind of what the thing is. Um, and what, what, so there's a lot, like I said, a lot of cool set pieces. So I don't feel like I'm giving away anything, sure, sure, sure. these secrets by, by, by saying these things, but um, you're not breaking out of the prison. You have to break into the prison because someone has been unjustly imprisoned at this, you know, terrible place at the end of the world. Think like Azkaban prison in the mm. Arctic ran by hags, mm. you know, like this is terrible, awful place. Um, you know, and it, it, that, that, you know, they're, they're kind of like the, these hags are kind of like the, uh, they're kind of like the reckoning for uh, the powerful. So like, you know, when the, when someone offends the gods or someone offends the, the, the forces of, of creation um, to such an extent as to, you know, as to be just like a complete black mark on, on everything, they end up in, in, uh, in, at the witch gate. Nice. And the 13 in the title actually uh, corresponds to the mysterious 13th prisoner. Who is this 13th prisoner? Mm. So that's where that, that, that whole thing comes into play. Um, so not only do you get these crazy set pieces like the witch gate, which is multi, you know, uh, multi-dimensional in itself. I don't mean that in a traditional sense, in a traditional sense. I mean that in the ways that the, the PCs interact with it, there's all these different ways they can, um, interact with it. But, um, there's also these places along the way, like we don't go through every single like hex crawl. We're not doing that, but there are set pieces that. You know, you're going to run into the this this graveyard of frozen ships that you have to navigate your way through. You know, you know, there's this crazy veil that is, you know, that's frozen, and you, you have your typical sort of like terrain and environmental challenges. But you know, lots of new monsters, lots of new magic, lots of, of what you, what you want out of uh, out of a new product. You know, you're getting. Yep. You know, it's, suppose you get it and you're not going to, eh, I don't have time to play the whole thing, but you want to pick stuff out of it. Plenty of that, you know, lots of stuff that you can do. Yeah. Well, and I think like, I think you've stumbled, probably not even stumbled. You probably do what you're doing. But um, like, I think that a prison break and the way you've described it coming on the heels of uh, the D&D &D movie, which starts with a prison break out of the frozen right. north. Right. And I think say what you will and different people have different opinions about that movie but that first that scene that opening scene of them getting out is uh i think I, i've yet to met a person who doesn't enjoy that moment right and who doesn't like say yeah that's D, &D right like the the ridiculousness of it the cleverness of it the whatever mm -hmm. and um it's cool that you know for dcc fans and for people who uh, uh are are into that we going even weirder uh you've kind of picked up on something that's like if you like that moment and you like that idea that we've all now got a glimpse of here's a whole adventure that is uh surrounding a similar uh, scenario which i think is very cool um the other thing that you said which i want to roll back to um i think this was on uh howling crater you had some of this as well but um you talked about mystery the mystery of the 13th prisoner right and one of the things that I really like about uh, some of your uh, publications so far is that there really is a mystery at the heart of whatever other thing you're doing, right? Um, you know, breaking someone in and out of prison or, or you know, in Howling Crater, there's all sorts of weird stuff, or Sister Saren even. Like, there's all sorts of weird stuff that's going on, but at the heart of it, um, there is this, the, these tendrils of a mystery and a story, a narrative that, that the party can pick up on. Talk to me about um, 
the the process of developing a mystery throughout an adventure that can feel meaningful and feel like you know there's breadcrumb trail but it's not you know like already wrote and scripted and and down to you know sure the steps talk to me about mysteries in your in your adventures well, you're absolutely right. That's the kind of stuff that I like. It's it's literally at, uh, there. There is some sort of element of uh, the unknown or the mystery, or like, you know, what happens if we do this? Yeah. Uh, you know, what happens if we connect this to this, or we drink this, or you know, or, or we go down this, you know, whatever. There is something like that in, or oftentimes many somethings like that in almost everything that that and uh, almost every adventure that that we do. Um, I find that again these set pieces. And, and at the heart of DCC, I mean, really is we want to do cool stuff. Yeah. You know, we, you know, even at the heart of like high level D&D, like I always hated when these these uh, judges or players would rob these high level PCs of the abilities that they had earned, you yeah. know, that they that they had worked so hard through so many levels to get like, let them use that stuff, you know, yeah. Um you know, to hell with it if, it if it railroads one tiny thing in the game. Like, let them do it. They 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 earned it. You know, player agency. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as they all how all that ties into like doing a mystery at the at the, in the middle of a the middle of a module, I like to put a little something in there, like the, the, that is a, like, oh, what is going on here? What is the secret behind this? Or why are these people acting that way? Why are they doing that? Why did this? you know, uh, thing happen. I like to do all of that, but then leave all these other avenues, all these other basically te teasers off to the side where, you know, they could easily get distracted and go off this way, or they could easily. So if they, if that, that gives the players enough, I wouldn't say agency, but enough choices to where, yeah, if they really want to follow this mystery, great. But if not, they have plenty of other things they can go off and do. That's, and that encourages open play and constructive play, I think. Very much so. I think that's one of the key fe features of really good adventure t uh, storytelling is that there's a linear or uh, there's a clear path, the main plot, the main story that you can walk through and it you can get through it. Like uh, in a lot of the adventures and I think even a lot of the published like hardback adventures that Watsi puts out, like if you just follow the main plot, you can clear that adventure relatively quickly right and you can get a good story but then the best sorts of adventures are ones that say yes there's that and you'll always know that you can come back to that but here's some other things that populate the world that make the world feel like we have choice and agency even though we all understand we're working towards this greater goal of this larger story there's moments in here that are pre-packaged or or set up to where the wizard has something they find, you know, the, the tome that's interesting to them or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the kobold, there's something weird about the kobolds. And if you're willing to walk down that pathway a little bit about these weird kobolds, you'll find that they have a story of their own to tell. And it yes. has well, maybe barely connected to the main story, maybe not at all, but <laughs> that might be the thing that your party walks away with. If your group walks away with at the end of the adventure and says, man, that kobold section was like what we wanted. Like that's, that's what, where we'd love to live. Um, I, I think that that's like anything that is just one straightforward pathway, um, risks, risks. Uh, it, it's not that it is always bad, but it always runs the danger of feeling simple and feeling barren. Um, and that's one of the things that I like about, um, 
about some of the, uh, I say some, because obviously we have things like Dungeon Malarkey, which are not an adventure, but some of the stuff that you put out is like packed with, um, with weird stuff inside an adventure for players to chew on and to get their brains working and get their puzzler working and, uh, figuring out what they want to do with it. Uh, it's just so cool. Well, they, you know, the, that also exactly what you're talking about. It, it leaves uh, open for emergent play too. So you're talking about those kobolds, you know, at the, at the end. Well, something might happen while you're role playing all that, that either the, the players will do something or something will kick into your brain. Hey, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I can bring this element back. You know, I can come back to that later, and it will make things seem more cohesive. You know, and that's, that's one of the reasons we play test so much stuff before. Uh, we publish a, a, a thing is because stuff comes out in the merchant play. You're like, ah, oh, man, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. You know, and then it ends up in the module, you know? So, yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, man, ah, juice. Okay. Well, um, we're, we've talked now for half an hour or so, and we talked a lot about Witchgate. Um, but I want to, uh, before we, before we get to the, the, the end here, I want to make sure we cover highlights, which are Salt on Witchgate is a DCC module coming out to Kickstarter on December 11th. And is it running for a couple weeks, three weeks? I'm just going to run for two weeks. Two weeks, perfect. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, it's Christmas, man. Yeah. I mean, people don't need all that mess. Yeah, yeah I feel you. Uh, that's, yeah, I, when we talk about, let's talk about, you know what? Let's, let's go into the weeds for a minute here because sure. um, we talked about like the, the, all the weird fun stuff. Um, let's talk about Kickstarter for a minute because um you're choosing and 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 not just you're not alone in this other people are and we're even looking at it right and but you're choosing to launch a kickstarter in december and we're this is a 180 from our previous discussions yeah but but so um i think that that's interesting for a lot of reasons uh up until literally this year my statement has been always be careful launching in december um and then all of a sudden, some of the coolest projects out there are launched, or some of the most, like the people I like the most or the things that I think are coolest are launching in December. I'm thinking about Jeff Jones launching a project in December, uh, John Balthusberger, you, even like Matt Colville with MCDM yeah. is launching their new game in December. I almost got the sense, do you, like, you remember when February was a bad time for movies, right? <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, the studios looked up and they said, wait a minute, we all agree that February is a bad time for movies, so it's a wasteland. So if we put our good movie in February... Mm -hmm. Everyone will go see it. Everybody will go see it. Is there is, is that is that what we're seeing here? Or is it just a, I've got one more thing to tell before the end of the year, let's pack it in? <laughs> uh, I don't know about everybody else. Um, that was... I don't want to say that was like the, the prime like deciding factor, because it wasn't. The deciding factor was is that at the beginning of the year, I told myself I want to do six projects this year. I want to mm -hmm. try to do one every two months. Yeah. Um, and I and I I didn't do them on, on exactly every two months. There was a couple you know gaps of three months sure. in there. Um, but I wanted to get this last one out because it's it's written. Uh, we have almost all the art for it. It's, it just needs to be laid out and and paid for. Um, there's a few. I mean, obviously some editing and you know sure. stuff, all back end stuff, but. Um, so I really didn't think much about that, but it did occur to me where I was like, yeah, you know, there's not a whole lot of stuff. A whole lot of stuff doesn't go out around Christmas because everybody's so, uh, you know, the trepidation is there. You know, they're so like, oh, I don't know, like it's Christmas time. But what I found is that if it was good, 
people will buy it. You know, people will will will, will get it. And I'm I'm more concerned about it being funded and it being out into the world than making just a mountain of money off of it. You know, sure. like you know, my my projects don't make like crazy. You know, they don't make crazy. Um, you know, million dollar shadow dark money, <laughs> but. You know, it's it's good enough for me to get the stuff out there into paper reprints and pay everybody a, a nice, good, fair wage and make sure everybody's happy. Comp copies for all creators, you know. So, but yeah, no, that's that's was a very small portion of of my thinking towards that. I love it. Uh, one last question for you. I know we, we're on close to time here, but um, you mentioned Shadow Dark. You are someone who has written stuff for DCC and MCC and. Um, fifth edition and you've got system neutral stuff. I know that you've got some like, like I would call it like BX era stuff mm -hmm. that you put out as well. All that said, you mentioned shadow dark. Are there systems out there that Levi is interested in telling stories or developing content for that, that are, that haven't been accomplished yet? Yeah, um, for sure. Like right now um, I'm doing a couple things right now for, for people that I like, there's a game called mystic punks. Mm. That is an Exalted Funeral game, Jay Domingo's uh, game. Um, that is, uh, it's really, really nice. Um, and I, I like, like it quite a bit. Uh, so I'm writing a thing, a thing for him. Um, um, other games would be Neon Lords of the Toxic Wasteland is, yeah. is one that I would, I would like to do an a adventure for. I've done a little supplemental material for Brian just because we're buddies, but um, uh, he did some stuff for me. I did some stuff for him kind of being you know, a back and forth. Um, but um I'd like to do something for that. Um, uh, John McGuire and Gio Colazzo have a game called Three Two One Action that mm -hmm. I've, I've got an idea for. I've talked to him many times about about doing it. Oh, uh, in Weird Frontiers, David Beatty, uh, Goodman Games, Weird Frontiers game. Uh, I have a module about half written called uh, Blighted Bayou of the Bong Donkeys. Nice. Which you know sounds just like a DCC adventure, but okay. it's for Weird Frontiers. So that's awesome. Yeah. I'm all over the place with this stuff, man, but I really just want to support games that I like, that I enjoy playing, yeah. that I find interesting. Um, yeah, that's why I'm not doing a ton of uh, of 5e stuff. I did my whatever five, six modules for 5e, and I don't think I'm going to do any more. Yeah. You know, I've kind of, kind of went down that path, and I'm done with it. So, yeah. I feel you. I feel you. Um, that makes a lot of sense on my end. Um, I know I am just got done working uh, on a little project for Brian Collin with Vast Grimm. I've oh, yeah pirate borg module on the way like and yeah. exactly what you just said which is i find myself drawn to like can i contribute can i can i feed the flames of a specific game that i have fallen in love with and you know there's bigger projects that our our wider team works on that i also adore but when you're talking about like a personal project that you're gonna whittle on in the weekend or whatever mm -hmm. i find myself like oh what can i do to say to express how much I like Brian and his product or whoever, right? Oh, yeah. well, um, Brian's a rad dude anyways. Yeah, so. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, no, it, you can't say anything bad about Brian. His um, game is his game looks and plays awesome. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, hey, um, Levi, thank you so much for, for chatting with me this fourth time. Um, and good luck with uh, Assault on Priest on Witchgate 13. Um, and I cannot wait for all the other weird shit that you're going to be throwing our way in 2024. Thanks so much for hanging out. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.